0: Psalm 138. I'm going to read it in its entirety and then we'll pray together. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, we sit with a psalmist in his pain and suffering, and that really forces us to sit with our own pain and suffering. And for some of us this morning, that's not a place that we want to go. And we need your courage. We need your strength. Give it to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, many of us heard this week of the tragic death of the comedian Robin Williams. He took his own life this week. And I know that Facebook is probably the last place in the world to go to see what other people think. But you do kind of get a knee-jerk reaction of what's on people's hearts and minds when when they hear about a tragedy like this. By and large, there was huge sentiment. There was an outpouring of care for him and for his family and and a show of love both inside the church and outside the church. But then there was also this dark undercurrent inside the church and outside the church of those asking, how could anybody do something like this? How could anybody get to this point? And how could anybody be so selfish as to take their own life? You know, if we ask that question, I suspect we're either totally naive or we're hiding the pain that we carry. We know the answer to that question. And to hear that tragedy this week, that sets the dark and fitting tone for Psalm 138. Our psalm today is chock full of danger. Look at it. There are other gods. There is spiritual warfare pressing in in verse 1. The psalmist, his strength is sapped in verse 3. The haughty sinner and the predator, they abound in verse 6, as do his enemies in verse 7. And while the psalmist is walking through this and feeling himself battered on all sides, he's not entirely sure when he writes this psalm that he's going to make it out on the other side alive. He doesn't know. But he's penning this psalm in the midst of it. Now there's actually a debate about who wrote this and when they wrote it. We can see in our Bibles that it's ascribed to David. So did David write this during his reign over Israel? Or was this written after Israel returned from exile, the exile that John described last week about Babylon? One, the reign of David, happens in the 900s B.C., and the other, the return from exile, happens in, in the 400s B.C. So take heart, we have this narrowed down to about a half a millennium about when this thing was written. We don't have a clue when this was written, and I say that because it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it was the 900s or the 500s or it was written a week ago. The pain in this psalm is raw and real. You can see it here. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the 900s or the 400s BC, there's not a season in your Bible, there's not an era, there's not a genre of writing, there's not not a page in our Bibles where we can go that the Bible is not serious about the fact that we suffer as human beings. You open up your Bible anywhere, you put your finger on a page and you are either getting out of suffering, you're about to go in it, or you are smack dab in the middle of it. The Bible is aware that humans suffer. All of us suffer. We're going to walk with the psalmist this morning through his suffering and we're going to do it by looking at the first line of verse 8. I think that line alone will unpack the entire psalm for it. And he says this, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. What a line. That's worth memorizing. That's going to help us see what the psalmist is talking about here. It's one thing to learn that God regards the lowly. That's what he says in verse 6. God actually sees us. He actually knows who we are, even though we're just part of a sea of humanity. It's one thing to know that he regards us. It's a wholly other thing to know that he has a purpose for us. Isn't that what we all desire? Isn't that innate to a human being to want to matter? However small and short our life is, we want it to kind of amount to something and do something. That's why Psalm 1 was so chilling to read because God says, not so for the wicked, not so for those who don't follow me. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. You, you can't account that kind of life for anything, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Lord has a purpose for me. That is is agreed upon throughout Scripture. Some of these great verses, Romans 8.28, All things work together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. God has a plan for you. He bought you. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Philippians one six, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus we have a purpose. That gives us delight as human beings. It gives us delight as believers. We have a purpose. But do you know the difference between the health and wealth gospel that promises healthy bodies and heavy wallets and the plain vanilla gospel as it comes to us in Psalm 138? It's right there in our English Bibles. It's one tiny little pesky pronoun that sits in front of the word purpose and it acts like a watershed because if you see it, your life hits it and it goes hurtling in one direction and if you miss this pronoun, you go off in a totally other direction with different aims and different ideas and different beliefs about who God is. The pronoun in our Bible is the word his. It is his. His purpose that he will fulfill in my life and your life. It's not my purpose. I've got purposes. I've got ideas. I've got a scheme for how my life should go and what it should look like. All of us do. I've got it planned out. I want four kids boy, girl, boy, girl. I want them to grow up healthy and strong. I want them to love Jesus and always follow him. I wouldn't mind if they read their Bibles in the Greek and Hebrew. I want them to get into good schools. I want them to call me every day from college just because they miss me. I want a healthy marriage. I want to love my wife and her to love me and us to date each other into our old age. I want a career that blossoms that other people take notice of. I want a healthy body that will help me do all these things. I want my 40k to greet me at 65 with arms wide open and just embrace me into this new and wonderful life of retirement, and I want to die when I'm 85. Not 86, not 96. 85 years old, I have it scripted. I sit down, we play a game of Settlers of Catan, me and my wife. She never plays games with me, but she decides to on this one night. I have a glass of wine, I go to bed, and I wake up and see Jesus. Isn't that a plan? I mean, I I haven't really thought about it yet, but I have purposes for my life. I have an idea about how my life will go. All of us carry these expectations, all of us have these ideas, and just when I, when I get that snippet of a verse, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, and I start to embroider that so I can put it over my kitchen sink and think about this plan that I have for my life, the psalmist who is saying the exact same thing cries out, help me, God, I know that you will fulfill your purpose for me, but help me, I'm sinking, and I need you and I get whipped out of fantasy land back into the reality that God does have a purpose for me, he will fulfill his plan for me, but that might not look anything like the roadmap I have just laid out. Now I'm just being silly about the plan that I have for my life, but I know that all of us come this morning. Many of us, it's very real and raw to us right now. We're we're not saying I want a 401k. We're not saying I want four kids and this and that. We're saying, God, would you, would you lift this burden from me? I suffer. I'm in pain. I'm experiencing loss. Is there anything that you can do to lift this and give me relief? How could God's purposes come to us wrapped in sickness and loss and death and depression and loneliness and pain and broken relationships and old wounds? How can he bring his purposes to us and fulfill them in us with such dark things in our life? I mentioned Robin Williams' suicide this morning. I was really touched by a blog post that was written after that, and it was written about one of Christianity's greatest poets, William Cooper. You might be familiar with him, not just from his poetry, but he also wrote a number of beautiful hymns. There's a fountain filled with blood. That was written by William Cooper. I don't know if you realize this, but Cooper came to faith in Christ in an insane asylum after a failed suicide attempt. That was one of many attempts on his own life and Cooper's life because depression dogged him all of his days. They dogged him. And when he writes poetry, he writes some poems that are so brutal and so raw and so real about suffering, they're hard to read. It's hard to to have in your minds that this is a fellow believer and he is so real about his suffering. I didn't know we were allowed to do that in the church. I didn't know you could write like Cooper does. I just want to have one of his last poems. This, this is literally his last poem, the, the last thing that was published by a Christian brother, and it is dark. He's dealing with depression. He has just read the story of a sailor who was swept off of a boat and drowned before all of his crewmates, and as he thinks about that reality, he pens this poem about its semblance in his own life, and he says this, I therefore purpose not our dream, discanting on his fate to give the melancholy theme a more enduring date. But misery still delights to trace its semblance in another's case. No voice divine the storm allayed. no light propitious shone. When snatched from all effectual aid, we perished, each alone. But I... I beneath a rougher sea and whelmed in deeper gulfs than he. Those are the last words we have from our Christian brother that was published. When we begin to ask the question, how is it that God's purposes can join hands with suffering and with grief? We're really finding ourselves in the company of the saints. We're pulling up a chair alongside the psalmist who wrote Psalm 138. We're pulling up alongside one of Christianity's greatest minds, William Cooper, and we're asking this question together. What does it look like when these two things join each other? Psalm 138 does not answer that question. God does not take a seat in the defendant's box so the psalmist can ask him, why am I being pressed in on every side? He doesn't do it. He doesn't give that answer. I'd love to leave the text and give some of those bright answers that we give each other about suffering. The psalmist doesn't do that. Instead, in the midst of his, his pain, he finds two aids that God brings him. And I want us to see those very clearly this morning, the two ways in which God comes to him in his suffering. And they're very different. The first one is in verse 7. Look at this. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. One of the aids God can bring to fulfill his purpose in our life is to move against everything that presses on us and to deliver us. You do a a word study or a phrase study about the righteous right hand of God, through your Bibles, and you will realize there's nothing he can't do. There is nothing that God cannot bring his right hand into our reality and do. God can prolong life. He can heal sickness. He can scatter enemies. He can raise up friends. I have seen him do this, and you have seen him do this. One of the ways God fulfills his purpose for us is he takes his right hand and he breaks into our present reality against every single odd mounted against him and he delivers us. He does that. Do you know that you serve that kind of God? Do you pray to that kind of God? Are your prayers as a sufferer pointed to a God who holds the cosmos in the palms of his hand and it is a little thing for him to move and heal and destroy and scatter and raise up? Or in our suffering, do we lose sight of that? And we begin to pray to this sheepish local deity who can only make suggestions on our behalf of how this world is run. You pray with the sufferer, and you will learn very quickly who the God that they're praying to is. God says, I can deliver you with my right hand, and he can. The first aid, that's clear. We get that. We know what it means to see a person sick and to ask for healing and to see healing. The second aid is just as wonderful, and it's just as hopeful, but it feels like a cop-out. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. There is a help that comes from God that doesn't change our circumstances one iota. It's from God, it comes to us, and it doesn't change. There's a help that comes to our hearts and our souls and our circumstances remain exactly the same, and God forbid they get ten times worse than we could have imagined. That's a help that comes from God. When, when I was an atheist and I heard Christians talk about this, this, this way of God answering prayers, I thought that was a total plan B contingency for God not answering your prayer. You pray to God, protect me from this thing, and God doesn't protect you from this thing. And as a Christian, you walk around saying, God answered my prayer. I'm happy in my heart. And I say, what a cop-out. God didn't answer your prayer. You're just saying that because he didn't answer, and you want to act like he's still close to you. Well, now fast forward 14-some years, walking with Christ, where I stand at the other end of a long, long list of heartfelt God-centered, other-serving prayers where I have pled on my knees, God, do this, move here, heal this person, and God has said no, and I am only just beginning to realize the power of a God who comes and meets us in our grief. Circumstance does not change But God, instead of taking his righteous right hand and moving against my enemies or against sickness or against circumstances and ailments and changing those, takes that same right hand and moves it into my heart and my soul and he changes me. I'm just beginning to learn the power of what that means. You know, he says in verse 3 that he increases the strength of my soul. Another way to translate that is, you have made me bold in the soul. Isn't that a great line? That sounds like an R&B hit. God comes to us and he makes us bold in the soul. We, We face down the valley of the shadow of death and we're still in it. We're not delivered from it but my soul is emboldened because I know that God is near me and he is coming to my aid, not in the way that I wanted him to come in the first place. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He has a purpose. He will fulfill it. He will finish what he starts. He will make good on all his promises. You and I can bank our life on that. But oftentimes, the Lord's purposes, like for the psalmist, are not clear to us. And they lead us on paths we don't want to go. And when we're in the midst of them, it's very hard to see him rightly. And that's why we have the rest of verse 8 as we read on. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands That's not the boldest prayer you're ever going to read in Scripture. It almost feels like you can end the entire psalm with a question mark. Do not forsake the work of your hands, Lord. Are you going to do that? Will you do that? It's not a bold prayer, but it's a genuine prayer. And I think a sufferer needs genuineness far and above any way they need contrived boldness. In praying this kind of prayer of Psalm 138, verse 8, we're reminded that God is driving the movement. It is his purpose. It is his steadfast love. It's his faithfulness. The Lord will finish what he starts in you and in me and thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we don't understand this and oftentimes we don't like this, that you have a purpose for us that's not our own. Can we trust you? That you are doing that and you are fulfilling that in us even when it hurts and can we cry out to you and trust that you have a righteous right hand that will either deliver us from our enemies or it will work inside our own hearts and minds and make us bold in the soul. I pray that you would do that for this body and you would do it by the powerful name of Jesus we ask. Amen.